Hello and welcome to the Music Survival Guide, the independent musician's guide on how to survive in the music industry. My name's Phil, a mixing and mastering engineer. Well, hello to you. As you may or may not be aware, but I hope you are, gigs in the UK at least have returned and it's a great thing and I'm so pleased for all those bands who've waited so long to play a gig. I have only been to one gig so far, but I've got another one coming up in about a week or so that I'm really excited for. And I'm keeping my eyes out for kind of local gigs and seeing who I can support. I think if you haven't been to a gig yet, it's super important that you do so that you can support the bands and you can support the venues who've had a really hard time this past year and a half. In the spirit of this, I have been speaking with Josh, Josh Abbott of Peace Productions, who does live and studio sound. We've been chatting a lot about the live music scene, what it's like to be a mixing engineer, how to get the best out of a band, how the band can work with the mixing engineer to get the best for their music. I think it's a really interesting conversation. If you're in a band and you're thinking about how to make the most of your music live, this is a great episode to listen to. I'm not going to witter on any longer. On with the interview. Well, today on the podcast, I'm joined by Josh Abbott of Peace Productions. Josh, how are you? Yeah, not too bad. Thanks, Phil. How are you? I'm I'm very well. Yes. Good. Yeah. Not surviving well in the heat, but there we are. <laughs> Whereabouts are you based? I'm in southwest London, so... Oh, okay. Not too far. I'm in, in Colchester, Essex. It's, it's been reasonable today, hasn't it? For uh, for what it's been like the last few weeks, I'm, uh, I'm quite happy with the weather. My wife's from Colchester, as it happens. There we are. Small world, man. It is indeed. Random fact for you. So, my first question, as always, is from a random question generator. So, <laughs> it remains to be seen what the question is. I was worried when you said this. Uh, what, what could it be? Could it be anything? It can be anything. Well, your question, I don't think is too bad. It's, would you rather be stuck on a broken ski lift or in a broken elevator? Oh, God. So... <laughs> I've got a terrible fear of heights. Ah. Um, I'm, so neither are perfect. Yeah, I've got really, really bad vertigo. So neither. <laughs> Can I say neither? No, you have to pick one. Oh, it man. One. Broken ski lift or like a broken elevator. Oh, God. How high up is the ski lift? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I was going to give a ballpark number. Let's say it's 20 metres in the air. And it's one of those ones with your legs dangling out. Oh. That's even worse. Is it soft snow below? Yeah, it is, yeah. Okay, yeah, the, the ski lift. Because if you fall in an elevator, uh, you know, contrary to popular belief, you can't jump at the last moment. Is that not true? No, that's not true. No, because you're you're inflicting sort of a mass downwards, aren't you? So it's just making the lift fall quicker, to, just to get really nerdy and anal for you there. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, definitely the ski lift, because if I land in soft snow... It takes a little bit of the padding. There, there you go. I can uh, I can level with you that I, I don't like heights either. It's not my thing. So I cl- last last year I climbed Snowdon and I got nearly to the top and I just I just it got to a point where it got really steep and I was like I can't I can't do this. Oh man! And then I know. And then and then there were there were there were dogs that were just merrily going up. There were children merrily going up, and I was like I feel I feel awful. <laughs> I'd love to climb Stoughton. Me and my partner are actually going to do a camping trip to North Wales, uh, hopefully this year. Um, and Snowdon is on the list. It's knackering. It's one of those things, man. I, oh, yeah, yeah, of course. Yeah, I'd, I'd need a good meal afterwards, I think. Very much so. So my first kind of uh, real question is, how did you get into music? 
since I was, well, the first thing that really got me into music, I was probably about six or seven, maybe eight years old. And for Christmas or a birthday, I can't remember which one, my parents bought me like a little Sony Walkman, little cassette player one. And I got now that's what they call music, whatever the year was, you know, the, the, the top of the pops compilation or whatever. And I kept rewinding and playing Bon Jovi, It's My Life over and over again. Didn't listen to any other song on the cassette. Just just Bon Jovi, It's My Life. Rewinding, playing, rewinding, playing, getting the, you know, when you rewind a cassette. Uh, any of the younger viewers out there might not know what the hell I'm talking about. <laughs> um, but yeah, um, since then, I've always really loved music. And then when I was on a ski trip with family and friends, about 13 years old, my dad lent me his, you remember the original iPods, the big white chunky like brick, yeah, man. And they could hold about, you know, 20 songs or something. You had to keep taking albums off and putting them on. Um, but I listened to that, like the whole five hour coach journey there and back, just listening to music. He'd loaded it with like uh, Kasabian and the Zootons and things like that, what were popular at the time. And I really got into Kasabian, man, at that, at that stage. Um, and then since then, I'd always have a portable music player on me everywhere I went and I'd constantly be finding new music, school trips, uh, things like that, you know, holidays. I'd just have my headphones on all the time, always listen to music, no matter where we were or how antisocial it made me. Um, <laughs> um, and then I kind of, when I was about 16, joined a band with a few people in school and, you know, went from there, really. The usual route into music, I guess. I, I mean, I've got, I've got to say, when you said the original iPod, I, I didn't own an original iPod. I had an iPod Mini. It's the first one I got. Oh yeah, they come out a little while later, didn't they? They did. But a friend of mine, um, I mean, it's about ten years ago now. No, about six years ago now. He still had an original iPod that was working because his dad. What I know because his dad was very good at taking it apart and making like repairing it, and so he had this original iPod. It was, it was an antique but it was wonderful that's really cool i'd love to try one out now and just see how simple but back then it was like breaking technology wasn't it it was it was like the next thing and how far we've come in a few years right makes me feel very old saying things like that <laughs> so going from that what uh, made you get into music production and the live music scene and things like that so when i was when i when i was around this school band around that time I was just sort of stepping into the world of music and the next few years really sort of shaped that for me um I joined uh, a local Essex metal band called Devil May Rise when I was about 19 played a whole whole load of gigs sort of dipped my toe into promoting um and setting up shows for us and getting the supports and things like that did it really really badly um <laughs> uh, as you do when you're first starting out in anything Devil May Rise split up and a few of us in that band got together and made Fatality, the band we're in now. That was quite a few years ago. And then I thought, you know what? I really like this promoting and sort of working the live sound in our rehearsals and things like that and learning about the recording process, you know, trying to record an album and, you know, really wanting to know what goes into it and thinking I really enjoy this sort of stuff. So I decided to go to college a little bit later than usual. I think I was about 23 when I, when I, when I went to college um, to study music tech at Colchester Institute. And from there, it just opened up a world of possibilities within, you know, live music, production, music tech, that sort of stuff. So I finished college having learned basically how to mix, how to use multi-effects, how to record, run live sound, that sort of stuff. And subsequently got my first job 
um, an Essex music venue called Asylum, um, who are no longer open, but they were brilliant, one of the best, you know, community venues. It was just men with long hair and beards, but very much like yourself, <laughs> um, just, you know, having a few beers, listening to music and partying, you know. Um, so joined, it was really good, man. Loved the place. But I joined there, yeah, joined there as a sound engineer, earning, you know, 50 quid a night, that sort of thing, just starting up, getting by, and just sort of progressed, joined a few more venues, got a job as a recording engineer in a studio. Started out very slowly, you know, but but sort of worked my, my way up. Um, got a good reputation for doing things properly and well. And, and yeah, that's how that's how I sort of got to where I am now. If you, um, as a live engineer, walk into a, a venue, a room for the very first time, for whatever reason you're in a room for the first time, is there anything that you would need to specially do to kind of learn like how the room is and how that affects things? Or do you just kind of go for it? I always like to give a big clap. <laughs> give a couple of claps and check the acoustics, you know, see what the reverb's like see what corners of the room are going to be a problem. That's kind of it really until you get the the PA, if it's an empty room or PA, whatever, if you, until you get the band set up and sound check, you never really know how it's going to be. It all depends on the equipment of the band as well. But yeah, to just get a feel for the room, like to give a couple of little claps and see, see what I get back. Have you ever clapped in a room and gone, oh no? A few times. <laughs> yeah. You sort of clap and it follows you around the room, like and you. Oh, this is going to be a problem. <laughs> Won't need the delay plugin. <laughs> no. <laughs> so what what goes into a good live mix? Because it's a very different style of mixing to in the studio. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, personally, for me, the feeling for the music itself, like you'd mix. You know, if you're in a studio, you might record somebody doing a jazz guitar the same way you'd record someone doing a metal guitar. You have your amps and you have your mics, you know, but mixing those genres differently, uh, mixing those genres in a venue or in a live setting could be completely different. You've just got to feel the, feel the music and know where to place things um, in the physically and in, in the mix, you know, another thing I say is, don't worry about this is going to come across like I'm a complete amateur and I don't know what I'm talking about. I always say don't worry about using plugins too correctly in that as long as it sounds good and you're not blowing the PA system up, then <laughs> then it's good, right? If it sounds good, it doesn't have to be reciprocated onto a CD or people aren't going to hear it over and over again. If it sounds good then and there, then you're doing something right. So in some venues where you can't get enough out of the vocal, I like to add a, a touch of compression and just pump the makeup gain, you know, get a little bit more volume on it, stuff like that. So, yeah, I always say that as long as it sounds good, it doesn't really matter what you're doing as long as you're not trying to use a reverb as a compressor. <laughs> like as long as you're using it in the right way, just don't worry about using the right things that you would in a studio, you know. Another thing I always think is a good organisation um, as long as you're not rushing around trying to do stuff, you're going to get your, everything mic'd up right, and you're going to have good authority over the band's levels as well. You don't want guitarists turning right up and then refusing to turn down, um, which happens a lot. <laughs> but, yeah, you want that sort of stuff, and just be friend, friendly and personable as well. Get on with people, and they will make your life easier as well if you're not being a the, the stereotypical grumpy engineer. <laughs> Do you um do you ever do the kind of live mixing that I see a lot in pubs where only certain things are mic'd up and some things are just left to to go at the volume they go at? 
And how do you approach that kind of thing? Yeah, like sometimes you get asked to do a job and they say, don't worry, we've got all the gear there. We've got everything you need. And you turn up and there's three vocal mics and that's it. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it depends on the venue as well. Like I've worked in venues where you don't need a mic on the snare. You know, there's enough there. Unless the band want it in their monitors or their ears, like you don't need to mic it up, cymbals, overheads, that sort of thing. Um, And you just, some, you know, sometimes the way you approach it is you know the venue. So you've worked there a handful of times and you know when you get there, you don't need to mic this up. You don't need to mic that up. Um, And maybe you've worked with that band before as well and you know their levels, you know the way they play. You know, oh, John hits the snare really loud, so you definitely don't need to mic that up sort of thing. And yeah, and sometimes you 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 mic it. You don't know the venue. You don't know the band. You mic everything up, and you think, all right, well, that guitar amp doesn't need a mic because he likes it really loud, and the venue will allow for that. Like it's yeah, approach it different ways. But as long as once again, as long as it sounds good, and as long as everyone can hear it all right, then then you, good. you've done a good job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> How do you deal with? Um the pressure of being a live sound engineer so it often feels to me especially as someone who sort of knows sound and knows that kind of world that when everything's going well <laughs> and everything you know everything's working properly etc cetera, etc cetera, no one notices the live sound engineer he's just an invisible person it's all about the band as soon as something goes wrong everyone sort of turns and looks and goes what's happened yep oh yeah yeah man i know all about that I, that's one of my sort of things that I go by is, you know, if it sounds good, you, you don't get recognized. If it sounds bad, then you get recognized and, and people know who you are. So as long as, you know, isn't obviously it's nice when people come up to you and say, what a great job and sound you did. But during the gig, if no one's looking at you, you must be doing all right. <laughs> that sounds about right. The, uh, gosh, the couple of, the couple of stories of, of, gigs i've been at where things have gone wrong that just imminently come to mind i was um i was actually at a festival and i'm not i'm not going to say which festival i'm not going to say which band it was a well-known festival and a well-known band that's all i'll say and they came on and they started playing and especially at festivals um it's very true that the live engineer has the first song really just to get everything oh yeah balanced you just go and it's it's manic but they started playing and it sounded good and then the the guitarist switched from driven sound to a clean sound. And I, 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 I don't know if he was just using a different amp or what, but it suddenly went from balanced to this, this clean rhythm guitar. This isn't a metal band. Oh, was God. the loudest and most <laughs> piercing thing I've ever heard. This is outside <laughs> at a festival and it was intense. And everyone was, I could just tell in that imminent moment, everyone was just out of it and was like, what is that live sound engineer doing? Well, it probably wasn't his fault. So, you know, I very much feel for the live engineers. Yeah, it's it can be really tough, you know, like sometimes uh, things like, as I mentioned before, guitarists just turning up, you know, you've said sound check them and they go, I'll turn it down a bit, turn it down a bit. All right, that's the loudest you can go. Don't turn it up anymore. If you need it anymore, I'll put it in your ears or your monitors. And then they start playing a solo and boom, it goes really loud. And then they leave it on and you have to think, right, now I've got to balance everything and turn it all up and make sure it's not too loud for the venue. And uh, it's very, uh, you can, you can panic, you know, if you don't, if you don't catch yourself and the amount of times I've been running around, you know, doing things, equipment breaking. um, I've had a couple of gigs where uh, one of them, when I was first starting out, the PA blew up halfway through the gig and stopped working. 
uh, while a musician was playing. That was that was horrible, absolutely horrible. We managed to source another PA within an hour and get it ready and in set up and done. So I, you know, we applauded ourselves for that. Um, there's another one where a generator stopped working and everything went down stage lights desk sound everything um and you know other ones where bands have bought dodgy equipment you know leads not working leads cutting out and making that sound and you just have to keep a cool head man that's the way you deal with it you know a couple of deep breaths and get out your booth and go fix things um and at the end you know the band normally normally thank you for for helping out like that and keeping a cool head because people people do panic when things like that happen how do you effectively problem solve when doing live sound because a lot of um live sound can can come down to when you're sound checking turning up the game for a particular channel i can't hear that why and there's loads of things that it could be so how do you kind of approach a, a problem like that it's experience i think knowing what to look for knowing how to sherlock holmes isn't it process of elimination right it can't be this it can't be this it can't be this it must be this and that's just experience doing it people telling you these things when you're learning and you remembering these and encountering them often when i first started learning to do live sound the people teaching me they said 99 of this job is problem solving and the rest the other one percent is actually running sound um and just knowing, you know, knowing your chains, knowing what equipment the band are using, um, knowing having you, a massive thing a lot of engineers don't do is having your channel list next to you, right? Write it down, stick it on a piece of paper and have it next to your desk. Even if you've got it labelled on your desk, having that next to you is just one of them things you can look, go, boom, it must be that, go. It's just, yeah, just knowing, knowing an experience is how you effectively problem solve, for sure, man. And I guess if you return to venues several times, you also get to know what uh, what problems there can be in particular venues that may crop up multiple times. 100%. Could turn up to a venue and go, right, channels three, four, and seven on the multi-core don't work. I know that. <laughs> yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, different venues. I mean, a lot of venues have different little quirks and things that you sort of get used to. Um, but that, yeah, it's all part of the job, isn't it? Knowing what to do in what venue and with what band so what what can bands do to help people like yourselves as live sound engineers get the best sound because a band's ultimate goal when they're playing a gig should be to sound good <laughs> and there's many ways you can do that like writing good songs and things like that but ultimately working with the live sound engineer is a big part of that yeah definitely the best thing that bands can do is listen um, it sounds really simple, but listen and trust your engineer. They're there for a reason. They're not there to make your life difficult. They're there to make you sound good. So listen to them. If they say, um, you know, turn your guitar down, then turn. I know I keep saying this. You can tell I have a little bit of a thing about guitarists not turning down. <laughs> but if we say turn your amp down, turn your amp down, and then we'll give it back to you with your monitors or your ears or whatever. Another thing is is know about your equipment. The amount of times I've worked with bands that, you know, not by any fault of their own, apart from not learning about what they're using. They could be starting out. They could be very, very amateur and nothing against that. That's great. You know, getting out there and playing music to people, but try and learn about your equipment. You know, if I say, oh, at the top end needs rolling off a bit, know where your frequency knobs are and don't spend 
hours looking for the right thing and playing about so you actually find what you need to do. Um, yeah, a little bit of basic knowledge goes a long, long way when working with an engineer who's got, you know, a hundred other things to be worrying about. Soundcheck times, making sure everything's done before doors, you know, sorting out three lineup changes in the space of 15, 15 minutes a slot, you know, that sort of thing. So, yeah, listening to your engineer, trusting your engineer and a little bit of basic knowledge about equipment you're using. Another thing, actually, that's just come to the top of my head is make sure you get there on time. <laughs> that is, uh, it's never going to happen, is it? Not in the music industry, right? Never going to happen. But you can keep trying. Get get there on time and set up on time, please. <laughs> if any bands are listening, don't address comments to me. Don't address any complaints to me. Send them all to me. That's fine. <laughs> so you mentioned quick turnaround times with bands. Are there any kind of tricks and things that you do to to make that changeover as swift as possible and painless as possible? One thing, it's not really a trick. It's just something I was born with, and that's having ADHD. And, you know, it's it's a serious thing. I, I'm not making light of it in any way. I suffer with ADHD, and at times it can be terrible. But I've learned to focus it in such a way that during changeovers, I expel an extraordinary amount of energy. And that relays onto the bands and they soak it in. And I'm like, right, go, let's help. Uh, do you need help with anything? Do you need help with anything? Let's get off the stage. Good set, guys. Well done. Dying around, making sure they're listening to me and knowing that they've got this time to get on and this time to get off. And it's always worked for me. Always works. Just letting that energy out. Um, and yeah, I think I think having ADHD has helped with that because it's like, you know, hyper-focus, do it, boom, 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 like a a gnat, you know, just buzzing around and yeah. Yeah. And the bands just seem to, um, sort of bounce off that energy, man. And yeah, it's always worked. Do you find that the, uh, if I can put this gently, the enemy of a quick changeover is people from the audience wanting to come and speak to the band and chat about gear and usually and things like that, all the music nerds swarm forward. It's, it's been known to happen. Yeah. Normally, it's yeah normally a dude at the front 15 beers in going trying to get up onto the stage and shake everyone's hand and have a chat to them about you know where'd you get your amp how many ohms is it um (laughs) (laughs) how many strings is on that guitar mate um but yeah uh, it happens man it's just one of them things you've got to roll with you know sometimes giving the singer a little nudge and going do you mind helping your drummer out a little bit we got to get on and off or you know i'll help him out um if if we've got time like let's let's get these mics off man let's take your take your breakables down and if you need any help let me know that sort of thing but normally just getting in and doing stuff um making it look like you're working hard normally makes everyone else feel guilty (laughs) um so they're like yeah do you want some help mate no it's fine just do that yep cool nice done change over boom (laughs) efficient do you um do you like the other the other thing that i see a lot especially with um smaller gigs where bands tend to share some parts of the drum kit and guitar cabs and sometimes bass cabs and things like that yeah oh makes my life a hell of a lot easier yeah just sharing cabs man and you know having having it ready just walk your amp on hook up the uh the patch and and go sharing drum kits oh isn't that a, a godsend um yeah um although drummers sharing drum kits they will still manage to take the full 15 minutes change over time to set all their symbols up and adjust them ever so perfectly like your hi-hat's got like 
two mil too much gap like let's adjust that um <laughs> but um but yeah man like kit share equipment share does a world of good and i'd urge any band out there unless you really can't do it like you use something so unique to you like um like an amp modeler or something like that that's got all your sounds built in unless you use something like that like do everything you can to kit share because it gives you more time to get ready before the show as well and it gives me more time to make you sound good right i think the thing that people worry about when it comes to live and uh, if i can put it this way their tone <laughs> um i'm not saying it's just guitarists but it's a lot a lot of it's guitarists is they worry that you know they spent time building their their kind of individual sound and they want it to come across live but per, i mean i don't know what you'd say to this but personally i would say spend time getting that right in the studio and making sure it's right when it's recorded there live um there's something about a live venue and the way sound just sort of works that you're just going to sort of lose some of that intricate detail anyway in the sort of noise of it all so don't worry about the details like oh no this is a marshall cab and i, I use an orange so i can't i can't use this that kind of thing don't worry about it yeah i totally agree with you man like most of the sound these days is in like the guitarists, like pedals and things like that anyway. And they might do a little bit of adjusting on the head, a little bit of presence, you know, change the EQ slightly. Um, but I, I think in what you were saying about the, the studio and the live setting, like if you, if you go to see a band live and they sound exactly like they do on Spotify or on their CD, there's nothing extra, you know? You want to go see a band live for a bit of a bit of oomph, you know, a bit more energy of power to these songs that you listen to. Um, and if any band wants to replicate exactly how they sound in the studio and not give any more live, then why are you doing it? Why don't you just release more music on, on Spotify, you know? Very true. Do you have a favourite genre to mix live? And maybe, if you want to say it, at least favourite genre or... You can answer that question however you like. Um, I, love, I love mixing jazz just not only because jazz musicians are just always super chilled they're like the most chilled people in the world even if they do arrive you know 10 minutes before doors they make <laughs> they make everything really easy for you like oh put a mic on that no yeah fine whatever do what you want mate like is that mic in your way no it's fine man i'm just gonna play like it's all like so chilled and um just the sound of it as well the warmth you know Mixing, mixing jazz just gives you this, seeing it live, just a, a feeling of like a, an audio warmth, you know? And yeah, I just, I just really enjoy, really enjoy the sounds and the things you can do, you know, with a little bit of uh, slapback delay and, and, and some nice plate reverbs and things like that, that can just give it such a, a nice feeling rather than hearing, you know? Is it that it, you're not worrying so much about the kind of technical aspects and you feel like you can sit back and sort of in actually enjoy the music a bit more. And work. Yeah. Yeah. Totally that. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head there, man. Like definitely you don't have to worry about is this sound compressed enough? Jazz is very free, isn't it? So it's like you just have a, have a, have fun with it, sit back, have fun and, and, and enjoy the music and, try before the end of the night to be as chilled as the musicians are. <laughs> um, as far as a, a worst genre goes... A least favourite, maybe. A least a least favourite. Um, not, not the worst, but worse than most, right? Um, 
would be, and I hate saying this because I'm a massive metal fan. I'm in a metal band, but metal, man, it's so hard to mix live because everything's so loud. Everything's in your face. Drummers just want to break the skins on their drums and smash their cymbals up. Like guitarists want to come off the stage with bleeding fingers and the vocalists want to tear their throats apart. Um, and everything is just balls to the wall. Like, whoa. and it can be hard to mix because everyone wants to be loud and, and, and heavy and in your face. And I get it, man. I'm, I'm a metal guy through and through myself. I totally get it. I just, it's, it's hard, man. It's hard to mix because you've got to find a balance for everything. You've got to find a place for everything and everything can't just be boom, there, you know, right up there. It has to be, this has to be slightly here and that slightly there. And, um, yeah, it's especially with, especially with the drummers, man, cause the cymbals, my God, if you're in a small venue and you have to mix a metal band, it's just the cymbals just travel and they just bounce off the walls and they're louder than everything, you know, but it's fun, right? It's all, it's, that's, it, it's fun and it's enjoyable and yeah, yeah, man, I can't, I can't slag it off anymore, right? <laughs> <laughs> the, the subgenre of metal that if I was a live sound engineer, I wouldn't want to touch with the barge pole just because I've been to a few of those gigs. It's like tech metal. Anything like that is insane. So I, the thing about tech metal, if you haven't heard it, go and listen to some, just Google it basically. But recorded when it's very well mixed is incredible. It's so intricate. But I, I went to a mate of mine's in a tech, well, was in a tech metal band and I saw a gig with, th- I think there were three basically just tech metal bands there. And they all set up and there was keyboards, two guitarists, bassist, drummer, singer in every band pretty much. And they had a a MacBook. It was always a MacBook running tracks. And that was where they had all the the orchestral stuff and extra, you know, horns and all sorts of things. They were also running. And the thing I just thought, I just watched them and I watched, you know, these these tracks and I'm sure they were all playing to a click as well to make sure everything lined up. But I just kind of stood back and went, it's it's almost turning into mush. I, I can't hear anything that's going from that computer. Like I can hear your nice intros and then as soon as you start playing, it's gone. So I, I, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to use that. Yeah, I've done it, a cu- done it a couple of times and it's hard. Like everything, it's difficult having to do it then and there, you know, in a studio, you can separate things and EQ things slightly, but having it all in one go and having to have clarity on almost every instrument, nothing can blend. And that's really hard in live because it's not just coming through the PA, it's coming through the amps as well, where if you stand in a different position in the room, you're going to get a different experience. So if you stood in the middle of the room in a lot of venues, um, yeah, man, I don't envy the guys that do that or the girls that do that day in, day out, like, that you you deserve to get paid more. <laughs> <laughs> give you jazz any day of the week, isn't it? Yeah, give me some jazz, man. <laughs> <laughs> are there? I mean, I, I feel like we sort of covered this question already. But are there any annoying habits that you wish bands didn't do when you're working with them in a live context? Yes, there's a few. Um, I won't do them. I won't do them all because we'll be here all night. <laughs> um, turning up without letting the engineer know, you know, halfway through. If a guitarist pulls me to one side and says, yo, man, I, I need to turn my guitar up. I can't hear it. Can't hear it through the wedge. The, there's just, so, you know, something there that I, I need to turn up. I'll go, okay, cool. I'll turn your gain down. You turn up a bit. Great. Fine. We'll get on with it. But turning up and not telling me, 
just like halfway through a song, you know, I'm concentrating on making sure the bass is pushing through properly or the kick's reverberant enough. And suddenly the guitar comes through. I'm like, what what has gone on there? I think my instant reaction is something I've done, you know? Oh, what have I done? What can I do? Um, And it's just, you know, the guitarist being a a knob. (laughs) Sorry, you might have to bleep that one out, man. My apologies. Um, Speak from the heart. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Bad mic technique. Singers with bad mic technique, you know, uh, holding the mic too far away from their face. Um, and then coming in really close. Um, so you have to like really have the gain on the fly, um, which obviously takes your mind off other things that you could be doing. People that cup the mic as well and then complain about feedback, like, <laughs> whoa, whoa. Yeah, uh, l- these are all things that I used to do when I was singing and didn't know, you know. I think it's all a lot of experience stuff, but if I can get that message across to people, you know, don't don't put cut your hands around your mic like this and then say there's a lot of feedback because you're – that's what you're doing. Another thing is singers holding the mic too close to the monitor. That's the thing that really gets me. Um, you know, they're singing, it's sounding great, really good. You're doing a great job. And I'm a perfectionist when I mix. I don't want any frequencies in there that shouldn't be there. And then all of a sudden they put their hands down to get a clap going and just, sorry, I, you might, that might be too much for anyone listening on the headphones. I apologize. Um, but yeah, things like that, you know, just simple things that if you've, if you've gigged a few times, you know, these things just don't do them. Don't do them bands. Behave. <laughs> the, the, the thing that people might not just understand about, I'd say, especially vocal mics is that they're going to pick up whatever you point them at. <laughs> so if you're pointing it at your monitor, you're going to get feedback. Surprise, surprise. If you're pointing it at your mouth and you're at the right distance, which is going to be quite close in a live context, you're golden. The horrible thing for live sound engineers is because the singer generally stands in the middle, they're stood usually right in front of the drum kit. So if the singer moves a bit too much, the drums are going to, they're just going to get picked up. So it's a, it's a real fine gain balance of making sure it's just right so yeah yeah definitely and there's not you know there's not little studio tricks you can do when when you're mixing a live mic you can't put like much of a gate on it just in case a singer goes really low you can't compress it too much because everything will then be the same volume in the mic um like it's yeah it is tough but you've just got a you know, so sometimes you can pick things like that up in soundcheck. If the singer's, you know, doing their show, their thing in soundcheck, you can see the way they're walking around and think, all right, like maybe when the mic's away from their mouth, they like to hold it towards other instruments. And I'm just going to ride the gain on that one or just ride the faders on that one, you know? Um, everyone's different and you've just got to kind of, once again, just try roll with it, man. It's the way to be. <laughs> Got to keep calm. It sounds like that's just the big, the big overriding message. Live sound engineers must stay calm. <laughs> have you had any truly nightmare experience gigs where things have really gone wrong? Yep. Yeah, definitely. I think I mentioned a couple of these earlier. Actually, like the PA blew up. I was doing one of my first shows um, as a promoter, and it was an outdoor thing in a pub. And obviously the, you know, maybe the electrical work wasn't up to spec and yeah, halfway through the show musician was on and the PA just, just went, we're all running around trying to work out what it could be. 
go and check the breakers inside, everything's up, like, all right, well, if something's blown up and the breakers are up, that's a problem. Um, so, yeah, managed to, like, as it was like a community thing, so a few of us sort of huddled around and was like, right, what can we do? Who's got a PA? Someone's got one at home? Right, cool, run off and get it. I'll sort you out some money and some beers later. Let's just get this show on the road. Um, so, yeah, managed to get another PA in and get the musician back on and, and finish the day um luckily which was you know as good as it could have been <laughs> yeah another one where a generator blew up not blew up so a generator cut out and that was powering everything so you got light sound stage amps everything just went um and this was a nighttime gig as well so we had to try and do everything in the dark get everything up and running in the dark we all had our phone lights on running around trying to get the generator fired up again um, managed to get that going again. Uh, you always do, didn't you, in these sort of things? You persevere, and no matter how long it takes, like you get things going again. So we got the band back on, let them finish their set, and we just ran late, which was lucky we could do that. A lot of places wouldn't let you run late, and you'd have to cut time. And I always feel bad about that because it's not, it's not the band's fault, you know? The, the band are the one that suffer. They don't get to play their stuff. Um, but, yeah, we managed to get that one done again. And just other ones with bad equipment, you know? People supply you people say we've got everything you need just come and run sound that's all you can do and you turn there and there's a tangled multi-core and an amp that keeps switching off and you know uh, uh, three pin xlrs with two pins in them <laughs> all sorts of things oh. like <laughs> um you know you, i've had a few nightmare gigs but as long as you get sound out and it sounds all right you can't complain at the end of the day as long as they pay you for it as well right you might go out to them at the end and say, look, all your equipment's rubbish, man. I want double. <laughs> but um, but no, it's um, one of the things you deal with. It's what you expect going into this job. So, yeah, man. My first thought is who has who just has a PA at home? <laughs> Obviously, somebody I was very lucky to know at that point. <laughs> That's very true. Very yeah, true. man. <laughs> so a kind of converse question. What's your best live sound or your favorite live sound moment to date? Um, I've had a few, you know, like quite a lot. And it's normally just like working with cool people. Like, as I say, like the any jazz musician that I've worked with has been sound, like they've been really cool. But I've worked I've I've had the 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 what would you call it, the luck to work with quite a lot of a lot of um older musicians that used to be big and now they're doing the smaller circuits and a lot of just well respected people. In the music industry, uh, people like Albert Lee worked with Dr. Feelgood, not the original lineup, of course, but founding members of the band. Um, Guthrie Govan, the, the, he's just absolutely insane. Um, musically, not as a human, he's a really chilled guy, lovely bloke, but his, oh, watching him play live is unreal and getting to engineer that is awesome. And even um, the 80s heartthrob Paul Young I've worked with a couple of times, um, who's in like an Americana sort of band now. That's his thing. And they're pretty good. Yeah, lots of cool, you know, gigs and moments like that where you think like, I've got a cool job. I get to meet with these people, work with them and get paid to do it, you know. But I think the best moments are just when bands come up to you and say, thanks very much. You know, you made us sound really good. That's the I get that, you know, not to be big headed, but I get that quite a lot i'm very attention to detail and perfectionist they come up and say things like oh that's the best we've sounded in ages man thanks so much and you know that's that's the best moments when you get thanked for doing something that usually you don't get thanked for because 
as I say, if it sounds good, band did a good job. If it sounds bad, then it's the sound engineer's fault. <laughs> and I guess it, it helps counteract those kind of moments that anyone involved in music gets where they have crippling self-doubt about what they're doing. And, and you feel like you've done something glaring that everyone's noticed, but no, no, no one particularly noticed. Dude, I have that before every single show, whether I'm playing a show, whether I'm teching a show, there's always that anxiety of like, Oh God, it's not, it's not going to go well. Everything's going to go wrong. Like I haven't got the time. Like the sound check was cut by five minutes. It's going to sound awful. And then it gets running and you, it, you get confident within yourself, you know, like deep down, I know I can do a good job. Like let's, let's rock and roll, man. But yeah, like there's always self doubt, man, which is why like, I think, why people push themselves, you know, prove to themselves they can do it and prove to other people they can do it. And that's one of the things that keeps me going, man. So if people want to find you and find out what you're doing out and about on online, uh, where can they go? Where's the best place? So I've got social media pages, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. That's um, it'll be forward slash peace productions, 92 or forward slash peace productions, UK. Um, I've got a website, which is www.peaceproductions.co.uk. There you can find everything I'm doing sound-wise, you know. I like to keep a little bit of personal stuff on the Instagram as well, you know, light-hearted, that sort of bits and pieces. So you can see when I'm falling off my bike and things like that, like the other week. Broke a couple of ribs. That was pretty oh. gnarly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you can also catch my band, Fatality, if you want to head over to www.fatalityband.uk.co.uk or any of the socials forward slash fatalitybanduk. Um, to check out what we're doing. Um, am I allowed to plug a gig we're doing? Yeah. Phil? Yeah. Awesome. So on Thursday, the 29th of July, my band Fatality are playing a gig at the Music Room in Ipswich, and we are supporting Chop Suey, System of a Down Tribute Act, and Disturbed UK, a Disturbed Tribute Act. Um, tickets are, I think, £8 in advance, £10 on the door. And that uh, the headline band Chop Suey features Sam Topman from Dragon Force. Of course it does. Yeah, exactly, man. Why wouldn't it, right? Um, and the other bands uh, is um, Andre Joyzy from Breed 77 and Tom Hunt from anti Noel League. It's going to be absolutely rocking. Thursday, 29th of July at the Music Room in Ipswich. If you hit up our socials, you can find the tickets and stuff, people. Um, but we'd love to see some people there. And if you want to check what I'm doing, Peace Productions UK or Peace Productions 92. There'll be links for all of these things in the show notes. So just go... I don't know why I'm pointing down like you can see me. Go go, go to wherever the notes are in, the, in your podcast player and you'll find it there. So there we go. Uh, Josh, it was really great to talk with you. Been a pleasure, man. Thank you very much. So I hope you enjoyed that chat with Josh. I just want to say, if you enjoyed the episode, please leave a review wherever you catch the podcast. Every single one of those helps me reach more people and helps more people find this information. So there we go. If you want to share it with any friends and bandmates, if you thought it was useful, please do so. Let them know. If you want to think about upping your live sound game, that could be a really great way forward. Finally, there's a community on Facebook called the Music Survival Guide Community, which is a space for musicians to chat about bands life with other musicians and industry people and that sort of thing so i will see you next time